Thank you, praise team. Who in here is um, television show or movie questioners? You know what I mean? When, when, when somebody's watching something that you're constantly asking, who, who's, who's that? Or, or why, who, who in here does that? I'm just curious. Who would say my spouse or my friend or my kids do that and they drive me crazy with that, all right? Uh, you know, that we, we, we want to know. You know, we, we, we want to understand when we're watching things. It's kind of a natural thing uh, to, to, to ask questions in settings like that. I can remember several years ago, we, we went to a, a movie. Uh, don't tell my RA at Mid-America, I'll get fined. Uh, but we went to a movie. Uh, we went and saw Dune. Those of you who have not been around the Nazarene church for a long time, ask somebody that's been Nazarene a long time, they'll explain that to you. Uh, but, but we went to see the movie Dune. Uh, anybody ever heard of Dune? Are you guys out there? Hello, Dune. It's a, it's a science fiction book. I've never read the book. Uh, and we got there halfway through the movie. And, um, and the movie ended with like, I, I think it was Sting was in the movie. Sting said, water. And it ended like that. And it never made sense to any of us there. We want to understand and so when we come to church, we understand what we're doing. We don't want to just go through the motions of rituals, but we want to have an understanding of why we do the things that we do. And so understanding makes our experiences fuller. That, that as we understand why we sing in the church, as we understand why, why we have discipleship, as we understand why, why we do the sacraments, as we have an understanding of the significance and the meaning of the sacraments, it gives us a richer experience as we receive them. We don't want to just go through the motions of ritual, Right? Um, somebody say amen. You guys, is it, is it too warm in here, too cold in here, just right? Is it just, it's just right, it, it, it's too hot? Is it just, is it so perfect you just want to go to sleep? Amen. Thank you, I heard that amen. So in the church, we have rituals. I mean, and, and, and we don't want to just be people who just go through the motions of rituals, but, but the rituals are meant to shape us. They have a significance and a meaning. And, and, and our sacraments of baptism and communion are, are, are sacred things that we do. That in the midst of these sacred things that we do, they, they have a significance beyond the ritual. And they are meant to shape something within us. And last week we, we began with this idea that the sacraments are not simply testimony, but transformation. So some theological traditions say, oh, well, it's just a testimony of something. But, but we believe in our theological understanding that when we receive the sacraments, we find ourselves literally in the presence of Jesus Christ. We don't believe the sacraments turn into Jesus Christ. But, but we believe that there is a real presence here in the community of believers. There is the presence of Jesus Christ here when we receive the elements. And in his presence, there's transformation. It's not just a memorial. And last week we used the phrase of sacrament of, of sanctification. That, that this is an ongoing sacrament. It's an ongoing meal that is meant to shape us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, more in the image of Jesus Christ. I've got a challenge for all of us. And the challenge for all of us is that when 2021 rolls around, 
we will look more like Jesus than we did at the beginning of 2020. <laughs> you realize that's God's goal for you. God's goal for me, God's goal for you, God's goal for this church is that as this year ends, we will enter the next year looking more like Jesus, thinking more like Jesus, living more like Jesus, reaching people and showing more people the, the image and the nature of Jesus Christ. And this ideal of sanctification is this ideal of a, a process in the life of every believer. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, it's the process by which this shaping into the image of Jesus occurs. And communion is a significant sacrament that's been practiced in the church from the beginning and is practiced all over the world with believers That'll be practiced countless times today in other churches. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a universal Christian practice that is meant to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we talked about, Josh talked about, Pastor Josh talked about celebration or Thanksgiving, this, this celebration that communion represents. And, and last week we talked about the cost that, that when we see the elements, it reminds us that Jesus paid a price for our salvation, that there was a sacrifice. And, and today we're going to talk about the call that is connected with, with these elements as we receive them, as we find ourselves in Jesus' presence. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or, or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or sacrifice. You were purchased with a price. And the price was Jesus' own body and blood. That God esteemed you and valued you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. That your sin was so great, that our fall was so dramatic, and we were so far from God that God had to send his son to rescue us from the pit of hell, to rescue us from our fallen nature, to rescue us from our sins. And so Jesus' sacrifice requires a response. And last week we talked about our need, that it speaks of my need. And we talked about conviction and confession. And conviction and confession are avenues of transformation. I, I, I believe in every church service, there should be elements where we sense God's presence and where He calls us to more, we are able to confess and move forward in our faith with Him. Confession before our Heavenly Father, confession with people we trust is not a negative thing, but it's a positive thing. And I believe even in our tradition, we need to embrace and rediscover this precious privilege we have to confess our sins to one another and in our confession of our sins, find forgiveness and growth and wholeness. But more than that, more than the need that we see and more than what it means as far as the depth of our fall, when we look at the cross, it shows us how God sees us. That in the eyes of God, we matter. 
you matter. I struggle with this concept, and it's, it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible a lot. But there seems to be a lot of theology built around this ideal that Christ would die for such a worm as I. And you find it in Isaiah. You find in other places that the only place that I could find where, where arguably it was God saying it through the prophet was in Isaiah. And the other places it's what people said about themselves. But I don't know if you necessarily can say that God was saying that. And so the overwhelming majority of the Bible, God's creation is not referred to as worm, but we're referred to as children of God. We're referred to as people made in His image. When, when, when creation talks about the, the creation of humankind, it's not God speaking, but God reaching out and touching. And there's this unique connection between God and us. And so I'm not always comfortable with this ideal that God sees us as worms. Because I don't know of anybody that would die for a worm. Would you die for a worm? God sees us as something extremely valuable. And so there's an optimism when we see these elements. There, there's an optimism to the grace of God. And the optimistic grace of God is this, that God can save us from our sins. That, that, that no one in this room is a lost cause, but God can redeem you and lift you and save you right where you are. But it's not only that God's grace is greater than my sin, but this optimistic grace believes that God's grace can transform me. <laughs> that, that it's just not about punching a ticket to heaven. Nothing wrong with heaven but that God can change me in this place and this process of sanctification, this process of maturity and growing more in the image of Jesus is not just a pipe dream, but it's what God's desire is for you and I. That when Paul writes, have the mind of Jesus Christ, he's not giving us some unattainable goal, but he's giving us what God wants to do in your life and my life. He wants us to see all of humanity, wants to see our neighbors, wants to see our family, wants to see our church, our community differently like Jesus sees it. And so there's a call that you find in the element. There's celebration, there's the cost, and then there's a call that comes when we see these elements. Jesus' sacrifice invites us to live for something more. Now, now, as I'm going through this series, what I'm realizing is Ecclesia is leaking through uh, the previous series and, and even re-gifted. It, it just seems to all be leaking through this, that, that, that the shaping nature of the church, this ideal that, that God has placed the church here, not, not just to be a place where we can, we can come in and plug in and go through the motions and, and like punch a ticket, but God has placed the church here as this shaping mechanism so that we can live for something more, that, that we can move past a consumeristic faith, a consumeristic meism type of life, but, but 
we can live for something more. We can live for something that, that doesn't just benefit me, but it blesses others. That, that God wants this place to be the kind of place that when, when we come in contact with it it, it, it lets us know that there's more to live for than just me. And only when it benefits me. Giving when it benefits, serving when it feels good, services that appeals to me. It's Christianity where all we want is the benefits, but not the cost. You can't help but think as you you talk about this, but Bonhoeffer's great book, The Cost of Discipleship. (laughs) This, This Lutheran theologian that understood that God was calling his people to something more than just going through the motions. In the book he writes, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. And I believe what Bonhoeffer said 80 years ago, probably 90 years ago now, is true for us now. That in our age, we are battling for a costly grace. A grace that calls us to something that's not just about what I can get, but what I can give. Cheap grace versus costly grace. See, cheap grace is all about me. What I can get. What's in it for me. Cheap grace. We'll see the benefits of the cross the benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus only, that it'll see what Jesus did on the cross as an exit strategy. A heaven-only hope. Now, heaven's a pretty good hope, right? Right? But at the core of my being, I believe God has called us to more than a heaven-only hope. That God has called called us to be redeemed in the here and now. And not only be redeemed in the here and now, but be people who bring about his redemption in the here and now. In the song, So Will I, and, I, and I'm not going to get the phrasing exactly right, but, but, but somehow it says, like you would again, a hundred million times or a hundred billion times or what, you know, a hundred trillion, quadrillion, whatever it is in the song, like you would again all these other times. As my theology is, is kind of, as I'm growing into my theology, you know what I believe? I, I believe God wants to offer himself over and over and over again through his children. That he wants us to be filled with his spirit and demonstrate this grace of Jesus and once again be this sacrifice that Jesus was. See, costly grace recognizes the sacrifice of Jesus calls me to something more. You know, consumeristic Christianity is not what Jesus taught. Jesus was not a consumeristic caller, if you will, a consumeristic discipler. 
You know, he, he could draw crowds. Jesus healed. He, he, he fed the 5,000. He fed the, well, it was more than 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. He fed the 4,000 men plus women and children. He, he healed people. He brought the dead back to life. All these things that Jesus did. If he would have stopped there, he would have a huge movement. And so people were beginning to follow him. And then Jesus would say things like this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is the kind of language Jesus would use when the crowds would get big. He'd get big crowds and Jesus would say things like, well, unless you eat my body, eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you can't be part of me. <laughs> and, and he consistently called them to more. The expectation, the call, was not just don't benefit from me, but demonstrate me, show me. In this scripture, it's, it's really not losing our lives, but we're finding real life. F fulfillment is found in serving, not being served. Satisfaction found in giving, not getting. Peace is found in forgiveness, not judgment. But, but connected to what Jesus is saying is, this, is, is what I would call a shock and awe statement. Take up your cross. Not, not, hey, live a sacrificial life. Not, hey, hey, you, you need to get over yourself. Not, hey, you, you need to be totally committed to me. Jesus says, take up your cross. The, the symbol of scandal, torture, and death. You know, I often wonder how the disciples heard that. You know, hindsight we understand, right? We understand that Jesus is going to die on a cross. We, we read the book, most of us read the book, knowing how it ends. But to the followers of Jesus, I don't think they had any clue how it was going to end. They thought this was Messiah and he was going to usher in God's kingdom but through, through just power. What they were accustomed to. They, they, they couldn't foresee or expect to see Jesus dying on a cross. And yet in the middle, middle of this ministry, Jesus would say, Hey, unless you're willing to embrace the scandal and the torture and the pain of a cross, you're not worthy of being one of my disciples. I assume that when they heard that, <laughs> who in this room would acknowledge that sometimes you just hear what you want to hear? Yeah. I believe they probably heard what they wanted to hear. And when Jesus would say those things, they would go past it, and it wasn't until after the cross and they began to record some of the sayings of Jesus that they went, oh man. He told us we're going to have to bear our own crosses. What does it mean to bear our own cross? That's a, that's a hard one, right? 
You know, it's easy to say those things, and, but, but what does it mean to bear our own cross? I always come back to Jesus in the garden. To, to bear our own cross is most people in this room, matter of fact, I'd venture to guess that probably no one in this room will die on a cross. To bear our own cross is Jesus in the garden saying, not my will, but your will. <laughs> it's not about what I want. It's not about what pleases me, but it's about, about what pleases you, Father. Are you willing to say yes to God? When we see the elements, it's not just about the sacrifice of Jesus, but it's about what he's called us to do. And the sacrifice of Jesus calls us to this point where we're willing to say yes to God, whatever that might mean. You know, God can call us to some amazingly difficult things. <laughs> can, I, can I be honest with you enough to say that in my life, God has called me to some things that I didn't think I could do. And what I found in my life that is this. You ever, you ever read a book or, um, or watch a movie that had no crisis in it? No difficulty in it? You know, I remember years ago there was a movie, I can't remember what it was called, but I watched the movie and it seemed like the whole movie, all they were doing around was sitting around and talking. It was the most boring movie ever. You know, great stories have crisis. You know, uh, Tom Sawyer is lost in a cave. You know, Huck Finn is escaping with a slave. The, the great stories have great crises in them. And God is calling to, wants to write a story in our life and to write an exciting story. There, there's these points of crisis where, where he calls us to more. And when we say no to those calls... I tell you, I think we lessen our life. What, what I've found in my life is when I've said yes to God, even though it may seem hard or may even be, seem impossible, when I've said yes to God, it has made my life more full. And so the truth is, in, in all of our lives, God is calling us to some amazingly difficult, hard things. Forgiveness. You know, when God calls you to forgive somebody that's legitimately harmed you, that is a crisis that is difficult. But I believe that when we say yes to God in circumstances like that, God can do some amazing things and bring value and fullness to our life that we wouldn't have otherwise. Serve outside of comfort zones. <laughs> Serve in places that's not familiar. Walk across the street and introduce yourself to a neighbor. Seems little, but that can be very difficult for some of us. I, I've read of some amazing servants of God over the past few years. Bill and Yvonne Bright, which is uh, the Jesus film and Campus Crusade. Billy Graham is probably the, the most well-known evangelist of our age, but nobody's reached more people than Bill Bright. Uh, Bill Bright, there's, there's millions of people that'll be in heaven because of Bill Bright. And, and Bill and Yvonne Bright, and I've talked about this before, but Bill and Yvonne Bright 
early in their ministry, put a blank piece of paper on an altar and signed it. And basically said, God, you fill in the rest. We're just going to sign a blank contract, and wherever you call us and whatever you ask us to do, we'll do. And you see this amazing ministry and this amazing, significant work for the kingdom in their life. Jim Elliott, he uh, was killed trying to reach indigenous people in Ecuador. He was, I believe, 28 years old. He was young. And as I understand it, he didn't even fight back. They just killed him. And he was just trying to tell them about Jesus this living example of Matthew 16, 24 through 26. And, of course, his, his quote is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <laughs> and here we are 60-plus years later, and we're still, still talking about this 28-year-old evangelist missionary that really didn't make much of a difference as far as his lifetime, but the example of his lifetime have inspired thousands. See, these elements show us the extent of the love of God and the price that Jesus paid, but it also demonstrates this call that God has in our life. I guess I'm, I'm kind of going old school in some of my songs. I, as I, I thought about this, I thought about Larnell Harris. I don't know if, Lar is Larnell Harris even still alive? <laughs> Does anybody know who even Larnell Harris is other than me? And, and I'll quote this song, I will not try to sing a Larnell Harris song. You paid too mu much too high a price for me. Your tears, your blood, the pain. To have my soul just stirred at times, yet never truly changed. You deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice because you paid much too high a price. See, the sacrifice calls us to something more. That when we see what Jesus did, it tells us that we matter to God and he's not just saving us to get us to heaven, but he's saving us and he wants to change us and transform us in our lives here so that we can continue this call, this mission of Jesus. Can, can, I, can I point you to something else that's kind of significant? You know, we've talked about Bill Bright and we've talked about Jim Elliott and talked about these great things. I want you to see something that's pretty important as we consider the sacrifice, the, the sacrament that Jesus initiated. The elements are ordinary. We're grape juice and bread. The elements Jesus used were wine and bread, which would have been on every Jewish table. Wasn't something unusual, wasn't something weird. Didn't have them do, do like the polar bear club and jump into cold water that can only do every once in a while. It, it was something that was on every table when they ate. You, you may not start a ministry like Bill Bright. Matter of fact, probably none of us in this room will, will have the global impact of Bill Bright. You, you, you may not die tragically, and I, I pray that you don't like Jim Elliott. 
The ordinary elements remind us God uses ordinary people in their ordinary life to demonstrate his extraordinary presence in life. There's a lot of ordinaries in there, isn't there? Ordinary things. When we accept this call and serve in the kids' department, it may seem ordinary, but our God has a habit of taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. Giving. They say, well, what, what difference could my giving to faith promise or my giving of a tithe or my giving to all in make? God takes little gifts and uses them for extraordinary things. Well, Pastor, what, what difference would it make if I would go to Uptown Friday night and, and, and help with, with kids in the community? God uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things. What would happen if I was fully present in my neighborhood or at work? <laughs> Yesterday, we were, uh, in, several people were in here working on the church and you're doing all sorts of things. If you haven't been over there, they've hung shiplap and torn out floors and, you know, they were beating floors with hammers to, to break up tiles and ordinary people <laughs> beating the floor with a hammer to lift tiles can become special and extraordinary because God can use them to demonstrate his love and presence. <laughs> Ordinary people living in obedience to God usher in God's transforming presence wherever they find themselves. So this week, as, as you've thought about this sacrament, it's not just about the here and now, but it's where God will send us. See, see this is a sending feast. That the ideal of this feast is that, that God will sustain us with his presence and God will send us with his presence. And that is the fundamental ideal of this sacrament. In some, some churches, there was even thought that, that, that what was left over of the sacrament was taken to serve those who were in need. So, so even in the sacrament itself, it was, there, was, there was built into this ideal of sending to meet the need of others. This is a sending feast. And so on the back tables, we're going to receive the elements here, and we're going to be dismissed from the back and receive it by intinction again. But on the back in, in baskets, there's some of those. You remember those little portable communions we've used from time to time? As we were cleaning out some of the closets, I found some old ones. And so the warning is this, these are not to consume, all right? And unless you're just feeling really like you want to be sick tomorrow and not go to, to work or school. So I wouldn't consume these. But the ideal is this, what, what would happen if you would take this little communion packet and set it on your desk at work? And every time you looked at it, you remembered, oh wait, I am the communion here. I have the opportunity in my ordinary work to project and demonstrate the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. What, what, what would happen if you'd put it in the middle of your kitchen table at home so that every time you, you gathered and ate, 
You realize that even in an ordinary event like that, that God's greatest desire is to be present in your midst. What what if you put it in your cup holder in your car and wherever you went this week, when you got out of the car, you remembered, oh, God sent me here and he has a purpose for me here. If you put it in your coat pocket, and every time you reached in to get your keys, you had to fumble around a communion packet and be reminded that this sending feast has put you on this journey. It's to remind us that, that God has a call in our life and God can use me in my ordinary life to demonstrate his kingdom. I'm going to ask Amy to come. I'm going to read scripture. And she's going to sing the song that I, I quoted last week from Keith Green. And I want this to be our prayer. Because <laughs> some of us, I think this is where we're at, that, that we need to just say a prayer. God, help me to be fresh and new in my walk with you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, help us now as we receive these elements to understand that it's your sacrifice calls us to more. That, that, that we're ordinary people, but Lord, you, you make a habit <laughs> and you specialize in using ordinary people to establish and show your kingdom. May we be ordinary people, truly ordinary people, simply following Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, praise team. You ever uh, walk in late to a movie or a TV show and try to figure out what's going on? Anybody ever do that? You ever, you ever come downstairs and, and your spouse or your kids or, or a friend is watching a TV show and, and, and it's in the middle of the show and, and you're trying to, to find out what's going on and you do the, who, who's that? Or, you know, why did they do that? Or anybody ever have that happen? Who's the questioners in this congregation so I can know not to watch movies with you? Uh, you know, all of us have done it to a certain extent that, that we've been, we've come in late or we've, we've not heard the whole story or we've missed something or, or we've gotten confused in a plot line. We ask those who, why, what questions and, and all of us want to follow the story and, and, and it's significant, you know, because understanding makes our experience fuller and that applies to, to watching a television show, at watch, even watching sporting events. Now, when, we, when you watch sporting events now, they, they give you backstories. And so you know more about the players and more about the teams. And it's in the backstories and the understanding that the experience becomes fuller. fuller. And, and it's the same with our rituals and what we do at the church. And as, as we're working through this sacrament series, as we're working on this, through this series on communion, it, it really seems like we're continuing very, very significantly the Ecclesia series, that as we understand what we're doing in church, as we understand why we stand in worship, as we understand why we pray, as we do all these things, there, there is significance in understanding why. And so as we go through the rituals, it's, it's not just going through the motions, but the rituals, the things that we do are meant to shape us. The sacraments of baptism and communion are meant to shape something within our lives. In our theology, we believe the sacraments are not simply testimony, but transformation. And when I say that, what I'm saying is that it's just not a memorial. It's just not something that we do that, that, that says something happened a long time ago. But in the sacraments, we give testimony to the ideal that Jesus is fully present in the sacraments. That we're just not talking about a distant Jesus, but Jesus is present with us when we receive the sacraments. That the sacraments do not turn into Jesus, but he is present, and in his presence, there's transformation. In fact, last week we used the phrase, sacrament of sanctification, and we use the ideal that the sacraments or a manner by which God transforms or changes his people or shapes his people. That, that God has in mind for his people this ideal that, that we will have the mind of Jesus, that we will personify Jesus in this world, and that the sacraments are one of the instruments that God has used historically in the church, through the church, so that people can be more in the image of Jesus Christ. That when the Bible, when the Apostle Paul says, you are to have the mind of Christ, he doesn't just say that to set some unrealistic goal in our life, but God fully expects his people to be changed and transformed. And the sacraments, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, is one of those things that God uses to shape us. Uh, we, we talked about celebration, how celebration, Thanksgiving shapes us. We talked about the cost, and we talked about sacrifice last week, how that shapes us. And today we're going to talk about the call. We used last week in our scripture was 1 Peter 1, 18-19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
And so as we, as we consider that scripture, what we, what we understand or what we believe is that when Jesus came and died, that, that there was a significant sacrifice paid by him not just to pay a sacrifice. It wasn't just being a martyr, but, but there was a sacrifice paid by Jesus for us. And so Jesus' sacrifice requires a response. Now, now last week we talked about how that speaks to our need, that, that when we see the cost that Jesus paid, it reminds us or it tells us that there was something wrong with us, that there was sin in our life, that, that we needed a Savior we didn't just need further instruction. We didn't need to read a book, but we needed someone to come and save us and redeem us. And we believe that Jesus came and did that. And, and the cost that he paid leads to a response. And, and the re response we talked about last week was conviction and confession. And we talked about how conviction and confession are avenues of transformation. That, that these aren't bad things. And, and, and in our Nazarene world, we don't often use the word confession. It's something that we tend to shy away from. But confession is good for us. That then when we're able to confess our sins to one another and, and, and talk about where we need work, God's work, it is a positive, good thing. And when we ignore those things, it's to our detriment. I would suggest that a theology without a healthy dose of confession is a flawed theology. We need to be able to confess. But there's more. As we think about this, it shows when we see the depth and the price that Jesus paid, it shows how he sees us. Now, now I often will use the phrase optimistic grace. And when I use the phrase optimistic grace, I use it in two ways. One way I use the ideal of optimistic grace is that optimistic grace says that Jesus is sufficient. That, that the sacrifice that Jesus paid is enough for you and me. That's optimistic. But I believe it's also optimistic in this way, that we believe that God wants to and can transform us. That he wants to change us from the inside out and not just leave us like we are. They didn't want to just save us in our sins and leave us there, but he wants to lead us to something better and bigger. And so when I use the phrase optimistic grace, it's this ideal that God sees us differently even than we see ourselves at times. In the Bible... At one time, and, and we use it in, in, in songs every once in a while, there's a few songs that, that will refer to humanity as worms. <laughs> look at your neighbor and say, you look like a worm. Okay, no, 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 don't do that. It's used one time. In the scriptures, one time, the Bible calls humanity a worm. It's in Isaiah. In another instance, David refers to himself as a worm, but, but it's questionable whether that's David's perspective of himself or that's God speaking through the psalmist. But in, in Isaiah, at one time, God speaks through, this, through Isaiah and says, the people of Israel are like a worm. But other than that, this ideal that humanity, that God sees humanity as a worm, is not throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, the scripture gives in an overwhelming examples a different view of how God sees his people. The, the, the scriptures will say things like, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The, the, the scriptures will say in Genesis that, that humankind was created in the image of God. 
In the New Testament, oftentimes, humanity is referred to as the children of God. As a matter of fact, in in the prodigal son story, the prodigal son remains a son, even though he's prodigal. And so the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is not that God sees you as worm, that God sees you as fearfully and wonderfully made in His image, a child of God that He wants to redeem and transform. And so this, this sacrament... When we consider the cost that Jesus paid, it tells us how God sees us. And Jesus' sacrifice invites us to live for something more. That there's this invitation that we find in Christ to live beyond ourselves. And in Ecclesia, we talked about this escape from meism, that, that God wants us to live for something better than just ourselves. It's something we teach our kids that, you know, don't be selfish. Don't don't live for yourself. Live for others. And and the church is this mechanism that shapes us into something better, that nurtures us and grows us to live for something more, to escape the tyranny of self, to move me past a consumeristic faith when all that matters is how it benefits me. And I only do things when it benefits me. It's giving when it's beneficial. It's serving when it feels good. It's going to services that appeal to me. It's Christianity with all the benefits and none of the cost. As I prepared this message, I can't help but go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran theologian in Germany during Hitler's reign and, and, and Bonhoeffer of course could have came to the United States and lived a full life but chose to remain in Nazi Germany and be part of the opposition because he wanted to be in Germany after and have been in Germany throughout World War II. Of course, eventually Bonhoeffer is martyred, but his great book is The Cost of Discipleship. And and Bonhoeffer talks about this cost that there is in serving Christ. And in his book, he says this, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. (laughs) And if that was true nearly 90 years ago, how much more is it true in our culture, in our day. That this ideal of cheap grace versus costly grace. See, cheap grace, it's all about me. Well, what can I get? What's my benefit? How does this work to my good? Cheap grace sees the benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus only. It's an exit strategy. It's it's a heaven-only hope. Nothing wrong with heaven. Don't go home and say, Pastor is bashing heaven. I'm all for it, okay? I give it a thumbs up. But I believe that Jesus is calling us, and the sacrifice of Jesus is calling us to something more than just waiting for heaven, but being actively being transformed even in this place costly grace recognizes the sacrifice of Jesus calls me to something more. 
That, that he didn't just come to sacrifice and die so that I could make it to heaven, but he came and he died so that I could live for something greater now. Now, now Jesus, when you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't teach this consumeristic gospel. <laughs> you know, G Jesus would heal people and, you know, he'd bring dead people back to life, which is pretty big, right? He, he fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, so probably fifteen to 20,000 people. He fed the 4,000 plus women and children, so probably about twelve to 15,000 people. He fed them. So he did consumeristic things, and he would draw crowds. And, and then as he would begin to draw crowds, Jesus would say things that would drive the crowds away. He'd say things like, well, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, boy, that is motivational speaking right there, right? And the crowds would begin to abandon him. In, in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, he says this, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and tape up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, now, in this passage, it's, it's not about really losing our lives, but finding our lives. And he's saying fulfillment is found in, in serving, not being served. That satisfaction is found in giving, not getting. That peace is found in forgiveness, not judgment. All these things are found in this statement. But we can't move too quickly past the shock and awe of the statement. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, now truthfully, we, we can't read this scripture without having a, a 2020 hindsight. You know, we, we know the end of the story, right? You guys have all read the end of the book, right? So, so we know when Jesus is saying these things, as we read them, we realize that Jesus is going to die on a cross and be raised from the dead, and, and there's a call to this, his disciples. But Jesus says this, before the cross. Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross before he takes up his cross. The cross is this instrument of scandal and torture and death. And Jesus is saying, I want you to take up this image of scandal and torture and death and follow me. I often wonder what the disciples thought. You know, Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me. And this isn't even on their radar. They don't see Jesus as a crucified Messiah. They see him as a conquering Messiah. And they believe that Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom of God, not through his death, but through power and might like every other kingdom. And they're hanging on to this kingdom, not of a cross, but of success. You know what I think? I, I think they're like most people. Raise your hand if sometimes you just simply hear what you want to hear. Yeah, there's more that you need to raise your hand. I think they heard what they wanted to hear. I, 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 and I don't think it was till after Jesus had died and been risen from the dead that they began to realize, oh, oh man, he told us then we're going to have to take up our own crosses and follow him. So the question is, what does it mean to bear our own cross? And the, the, the truth is, I, I would doubt that anybody in this room is going to die on a cross. And all God's people said, 
but you're going to have to bear one. And I think when we bear our cross, we, we find this in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is wrestling with God about God's will for him. And, and, and the scripture says that he's, he's crying drops of blood, sweating drops of blood. And Jesus says what? Not my will, but your will. So, so I believe to bear our cross means we get to this point in our life where we say, okay, God, I give. Not my will, but your will. And so the question is, are you willing to say yes to God? Are you willing to say yes? What, whatever he calls you to do. And so when we consider these elements, that is the question. God asks us through the sacraments, will you bear your cross? Will you say yes to me? And so communion calls me and calls you to this sacrificial discipleship. The, the truth is, God can do some amazing things when we say yes to him. So some of the most amazing things that have happened in my life have been when I've said yes to difficult things. Even now, as God works on me, I believe there's difficult things that he has in store for me. And, and, and sometimes we struggle with those things, right? But I found there's beauty and fulfillment when I say yes, even though the task may be hard. When I've forgiven someone that's really hurt me. Has anybody ever really been hurt? Raise your hand, yeah? You know, when you forgive... Chloe, I'm going to pick on you. When you extend forgiveness and friendship to someone that's made life difficult, like I've watched you do, that's amazing and beautiful. You ever, you ever watch, this is the movie sermon, I guess. Have you ever watched a movie that didn't seem to have a plot? And you like watch three hours and it's like, what? That's three hours I'll never get back. You know, and, and there, there's some movies that, you know, there doesn't seem to be any, any crisis or climax or anything difficult. Great stories have climaxes. They, they have something that's difficult that you have to overcome, and you overcome it. You know, every great story has that. From, from Huck Finn and escaping with the slave, to Tom Sawyer getting caught in the, in, in the cave, to, to any, any story you want to talk about, there's always climax. And in our stories, as God tries to write a better story for us, that the fulfillment, the fullness of our life will be found when we say yes to God in the hard things. Now, I've seen stories of some amazing servants of God. Bill and Yvonne Bright, Campus Crusade and the Jesus film. Billy Graham is the name that you hear as far as evangelism in the 20th century. But really, Bill Bright was the was the giant of the 20th century. Bill, there, there's millions of people that will be in heaven because of Bill Bright. When Bill Bright and Yvonne Bright were young, they, they took a blank piece of paper and, and they, they put it on a table and they signed it. And they said, God, this is a blank contract. You fill in the rest, whatever you want, want us to do. And Bill and Yvonne Bright went on to, to form these ministries, these, these mo monster ministries that, that changed people's destinies. You guys ever hear of Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott was killed when he was 28 years old trying to reach indigenous people in Ecuador. <laughs> 
and he went without a fight because he wasn't going to kill somebody that wasn't ready, as I understand it, to, to meet God. And, and they, they, all he was trying to do was tell him about Jesus. He lived Matthew 16, 24 through 26. The, the, the quote that's attributed to Jim Elliott that they found in a Bible or in a margin somewhere was, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <laughs> so, so you hear about these people that have given it all, that, that have done these great things, and, and the elements remind us the extent of God's love and the price he paid and, and his call for us. Larnell Harris has a song that he sang is Larnell Harris still alive? Anybody know? I asked first service, nobody knows. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Or is anybody even awake? Are you just waiting? You, your ears perk up, up when you hear, in conclusion. Maybe I, I use that every time I want to get everybody's attention. In conclusion. Okay, now you're listening. Larnell Harris had a song, and I won't sing it. <laughs> he said, you paid much too high a price for me, your tears, your blood, the pain. To have my soul just stirred at times, yet never truly changed. You deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice because you paid much too high a price. <laughs> God's paid too much of a price for us just to go through the motions. There's a call. But I want you to see one other thing before we close today. These elements, the bread, and we use grape juice, the elements are ordinary. That the elements that Jesus used to institute this feast, this communion, were, were ordinary elements that would be on every Jewish table. Every time they sat down to eat, they would have bread and wine. He didn't choose something unusual or something that they wouldn't see all the time, but the elements are ordinary. You may not start ministries like Bill Bright, you may not die a martyr's death like Jim Elliott, but the ordinary elements remind us God uses ordinary people in their ordinary life to demonstrate His extraordinary presence and love. That it's not in the unusual things that we do, it's doing the usual things with a different purpose that makes a difference. Ordinary things like working in a kid's department. <laughs> ordinary things like giving Ordinary things like being at Uptown Friday night and just being available. Ordinary things like prayer times and visiting. Being fully present in your neighborhood. Being present at work. Yesterday we were doing some work out there and I was watching guys do all sorts of things. I tell you, if you ever need any tile broken in your house, call Todd Clements. Let me tell you why. He was busting those things up and, and chunks of ceramic was flying everywhere. As I thought about that, it's an ordinary thing. But that ordinary action, just in obedience to God, is transforming because it finds himself in the presence of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people, living in obedience to God, usher in God's transforming presence wherever they find themselves. So in communion, this is a sending feast. <laughs> that, that, that the ideal of communion is, is not that it's just for here, but in communion there's this recognition that this ordinary feast sends us out to be ordinary people following Jesus. And as we are ordinary people following Jesus, that we can usher in the kingdom of God. That we can demonstrate the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. My theology is being shaped even now as we go through these, these series, as, as I, the songs that we sing, this ideal that, that 
and so will I. The, the words are like you would again 10 billion times or something like that when talking about Jesus' sacrifice. And the truth is God is continuing to send sons and daughters out into the world, and it's you and I. <laughs> That he calls us to continue the sacrifice, to continue to be communion, to continue to be the, the, the elements out in the world shaping and making the kingdom available. So in the sending feast, in our cleaning of closets, you guys remember we use these little packets every once in a while? I found some old ones. Some of these are just like jello. So so this is the warning. Do not consume these, okay? Everybody say, we will not eat these, okay? Say, you promise? Nobody's promised me anything, are you? Maybe it'll turn into wine. Do not eat these, okay? They're old. And the purpose of these is not to consume, but to take home with you. And what I'd say is, take it to your desk at work and set it there. And when you see it, remind yourself that in this place, I am communion. I have been placed here by God to be communion and to demonstrate His transforming grace. But put it in your nightstand. And when you get up every morning, look at it and realize that that day is God's and He wants to use you as communion throughout your day. Put it in the middle of your dining room table. And when you sit down to eat as a family, realize that God blesses those special times that it's in the midst of relationship, that God's transforming presence can come through best. And as you're sitting there at a table eating pizza or McDonald's, whatever fits your bill. I mean, we're three weeks in, diets are already gone, right? Remember that God is present there. Put it in the cup holder of your car. And when you're driving to work, when you're driving to the store, wherever you're driving, realize that you're going as communion to demonstrate the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. Put it in your coat pocket. And every time you reach into your coat pocket to dig out your keys, realize that you have been sent on this journey, not just to get groceries, but you have been sent as a missionary of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Amy to come and sing this song before we receive communion. Now, communion in our church is an open table. If you're a genuine seeker of Jesus Christ, you, you are eligible for communion. So, so no one is excluded. Uh, we're going to take it, receive it by intinction, which means you dip the bread and you, you eat it right here. Uh, I've asked Amy if we could sing the song that I quoted last week from Keith Green, just kind of as a prayer. I'm going to pray with you, and then she's going to sing the song through one time because I'm not sure if everybody knows the song. Well, you can sing it both times. Um, but, but the second time, I'm going to invite you guys to sing with us. Uh, what we'll do is we'll be dismissed from the back, and you'll just come forward. There's a few gluten-free elements, but we must have had a run on gluten-free elements in the first service, so there's not a lot. So if, unless it's an allergy, I would, I'd ask that you, you not partake of the gluten-free today, uh, and we'll get more for you next week. But I'm going to pray with us. Then Amy's going to sing this song one time, and then you guys are going to sing it one time with her as a prayer. Lord, help us now to see the extent of your sacrifice, to see the extent of your love, and to realize, Lord, there's a call on all of us, not not just to be consumers of your grace, but, Lord, to, um, to, to be people who show your grace to others. Now, help us, Lord, to be pure in our heart, to be true to you, to, to truly seek you in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.